This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The Darkness Awaits. It's about to be a fun ride. Follow along, watch as we slide. Paranormal just hit the lights. Goosebumps all through the night. Mixing just a little bit of twain. That girl sure can't do a thing. Together, hillbillies go insane. Laugh so hard it'll hurt your brain. Podcast you won't ever change. These two here, they got the recipe. Sat on back and listen in to some of our darkest mysteries. Hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories. And now here's your host. Jerry and Tracy Polly and their dog Ninja. Hey guys, and welcome to episode 160 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. I'm Tracy. It seems like we said that every week. <laughs> Why can't I be Tracy one week? You can. You're more feminine than I am. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Some days. Yeah. So that's usually only though when I'm, you know, it's that time of the month. <laughs> okay. So we just completely went off the rails before we even got started. I know it. So first of all, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country we represent, including our K-9 units. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, so much. We appreciate you all. Also wanted to say thank you to everybody who came out to our birthday bash last night. It was such a great time. It was a full house. So packed. It was so hot. (laughs) Yeah, it was all toasty. (laughs) <laughs> but that's we, right. we were afraid to leave the cake out because it was going to start melting <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that bad no but it was it was a little warm and uh tony brewski from real ghost stories online was phenomenal oh yes he was as 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 great as he is on the show in person and standing up there and mediating what he did was just it was like watching a, a comedy show he mm-hmm. was so funny we had guests come up and tell their stories and they were all funny, so it was a really cool night. It was really fun, and we were so happy to meet so many of you guys. Got to meet Boyd for the first time yep. in person, so after a couple of years on the group and, and mm-hmm. talking in uh, the Facebook page, finally got to, to meet him in person. That mm-hmm. was cool, and so many others, it's too many to mention, but, and, oh, and how can we even forget, because Raymond Garcia and his wife Sandy came out, mm-hmm. and they came all the way from Washington State. They're just the nicest people on the face of the earth. I know it. I know it. And we appreciate them so much. We sure and, do. You know, they, they've uh, they've been there for a while. They've always got something kind to say. Raymond sent us that uh, Aussie Ouija board mm-hmm. a couple months ago. Like I said, that thing is, is still in the plastic. It's in mint condition, so it's a collector's item. It's awesome. And then last night, they brought Tracy a bunch of hair, hair products. and Which I love. Thank you so much, my doll. And then they brought me more Aussie stuff, including a, uh, man, I don't even know how big that thing is, probably 12 by 16. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a giant ticket to an Aussie concert, and it's signed by Aussie. I know. It's very, very cool. So there was some other stuff in there, too. But, man, we can't thank you guys enough for coming out and, and uh, supporting us, all of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was a couple that we really wanted to kind of point out. Because uh, we've been talking to him for so long and finally get to meet him in person. So thanks to everyone. What an honor it was, too. All right. Obviously, it's been a a tough couple weeks. Um, So, you know, we're we're into it as much as anybody else that we would preach about uh, depression and just trying to get through life. I mean, it's we've had a rough time. And um, so we we feel what a lot of you guys and gals are feeling out there in, in your normal everyday life. And uh, we just want to say, hey, if you need to talk to somebody, send us a message. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that and you'd rather be more anonymous, there's the suicide hotline, 1-800-273-8255. And uh, if you'd like the text line, it's 741-741. And that really is the way a lot of people are going these days is the, the texting. It's mm-hmm. just easier for them. But yeah, what, it's all at the same result. Everybody basically says once they've talked to somebody – they feel better. I know mm-hmm. I was talking to a fellow podcaster the other day, and uh, that podcaster had something on their mind, and we talked, and when we were through, they said they felt a lot better just by talking, and that's what it's all about. Reach out to somebody, get it off your chest, you'll feel better. We even had somebody tell me that a lot of times they write it out mm-hmm. instead of just 
talking to somebody, they'll just write mm-hmm. down yeah, what journal. they're feelings, mm-hmm. and and that helps too. So it's just another option that you might think about. Yeah, that's a great way to do it. Okay, we ready to get on with the show this Let's week? Go. Man, there's a lot of notes here. I know, but I'm freezing. Can I shut this vent? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'll turn this off. All right, we're back after Tracy's little freeze break. She <laughs> said <laughs> we almost had some freeze dried Tracy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about that? All right, so the tonight's story is known as Curse of the Pharaohs. So we've done some shows in the past about cursed objects and cursed movie sets, things like that. We probably, though, have ignored the most famous of all curses. King Tut. I meant my good looks. Oh, true story. Just kidding, though. Well, it's probably in the top ten, but I wouldn't put it at number one. <laughs> <laughs> But we're so we're talking about the curse of the pharaohs, or more commonly known as Tracy just stepped all over my punchline, the curse of King Tut. Mm-mm. And she's trying to get us sued by Steve Martin. <gasps> Never. So we're going to discuss a little bit about King Tut, who he actually was, and then we're going to talk about the details of the discovery of his tomb, and then we're going to talk about visitors that. Supposedly succumbed to the curse. Mm. Would you believe that there is also an Aleister Crowley connection here? You know what? It just would not surprise me. <laughs> that turd was into everything. So King Tut's real name was Tutankhamun. <laughs> what? Tutankhamun. It's like a bunch of friends that get together and just fart. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> we Tutankhamun. Oh. But so there's all kinds of different. I've heard Tutankhamun. I've heard uh, Tutankhamun is what one video I watched said. I've seen uh, Tutankhamun. Dang on. So many different adventures you could go on there. <laughs> I don't know about an adventure, but okay. <sighs> Anyways, he was an Egyptian pharaoh, and this was around 1300 B.C., this time of the Egyptian history was referred to as the New Kingdom, I guess, era. So he took over the throne at the age of nine years old in 1333 B.C. Ninja. Nudge him. Daddy's telling a story. Hmm. He then married his half-sister. They had two children together. They were both girls. Neither lived very long. Aww. They, uh, matter of fact... I think one of them was born um, premature Aww. at like four or five months old, so she didn't make it. And the other one, I think, made it to like two or three months old. Oh, my goodness. So neither one lasted That's very long. That's so sad. So Tutankhamun ruled until he died at the age of 18 years old. What? Why he's always referred to as the boy king. What the heck? How come he just was 18? You know what? I don't really... I don't know even... I couldn't find anything that said exactly what his death was from. Oh, my gosh. But when he when he died, he was buried in a sector of Egypt known as the Valley of the Kings. Now, at the time, kings and pharaohs were pretty much considered gods. Mm-hmm. And they were buried with gold and ivory and a bunch of jewels and other precious uh, commodities to make their journey into the afterlife easier. That mm-hmm. was the, the thought process. So we're going to fast forward about 3,000 years mm. <laughs> to the early 1900s. Because basically King Tut had been forgotten over the last 3,000 years for good reason. Why? I'm glad you asked. Me too. Even a king as important as King Tut can be completely covered up with sand and erosion after that many years. So that's what happened. He was just completely buried to where nobody even knew he was under there. And then, you know, you can imagine if someone passes away, they're going to stay in your memory for a while. And they'll stay in, in your memory for maybe the next generation. But when you yeah. start talking 3,000 years. Yeah, right, right. I mean, could, do you know anybody in your family from 3,000 years ago? No. Exactly. So that's kind of what happened. As they people- probably were awesome, though. <laughs> <laughs> So these two men that are very important we're going to have to meet in order for this great discovery of King Tut's tomb to happen. These two men were archaeologist Howard Carter. 
He was from Great Britain. And then the fifth Earl of Carnarvon, a gentleman by the name of George Edward Stanhope Molyneux Herbert. Why, why has he got to have so many names? He's from Great Britain also. I don't know, but from this point on, he's just going to be Lord Carnarvon. Oh, why don't you just say George? Because George, does, he's royalty, oh, and he'll be treated okay, as such. Okay, we will respect you then. Oddly enough, their meeting happened in Egypt, even though they were both from Great Britain. Mm-hmm. So Lord Carnarvon was very wealthy, and he was fascinated with Egypt. Lord Carnarvon was a daredevil of sorts. So he was like one of the first people to ever race cars. No kidding. Yeah, back when, during the when when they first invented cars, and actually, obviously, that was like late eighteen hundreds. He in the in the early nineteen hundreds was already racing cars. I was gonna say, dude, that's Fred Flintstone. How are you gonna race a Fred Flintstone car? <laughs> I think your dates might be a little off. Well, I mean, I thought you were talking about like three thousand years ago. I'm like, what the hell? No, we've done fast forward to three thousand years. Remember? Oh yeah, that's right. So, anyways. He was severely injured in a car wreck during a race. Mm-hmm. His doctor advised him to stay away from the cold weather in London in the wintertime, so he advised him to go to Egypt Oh, because the weather was dry and it was mm-hmm. warm, warm and all that, and so that was the best thing for him. He suggested that he spend all winter there. So I said, okay. And, and this was apparently something common with people who had money. Like It, mm-hmm. it didn't matter what the situation was, go to England. I mean, uh, go to Egypt. Oh, wow. And, but if you didn't have money, they wouldn't tell you that because it was expensive to do that. Mm-hmm. But if you had money, that was always a doctor's suggestion. So Howard Carter was already in Egypt, Egypt doing uh, some archaeological digs in the Valley of the Kings. He'd been doing this for about five years at this point. Everyone knew that there were kings buried with all their riches and everything, and they were pretty much buried in the Valley of the Kings. This was like a, a known thing for years and years and years. Therefore, the place had for the most part been picked dry over the last 3,000 years. Everybody was already looking there, and then a lot of that stuff happened like years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. So there just wasn't a whole lot there. So that's why one other reason why King Tut stayed undiscovered for so long, because everybody just kind of quit going there because they're like, oh, there's probably nothing left, mm-hmm. just like in these the gold rushes in California. So that's what you're talking about, like them picking his casket or whatever that was, right. with Pe- all the jewels and people stuff. Were, people were digging there just like they would the gold rush mm-hmm. in California once gold was discovered, wow. You know, because everybody's like, we know the kings are buried here, and yeah. we know they bury them with all their gold, so everybody let's dig the place up. Mm, so over that's three, sad. Over the course of 3,000 years, everything was pretty much gone. But Carter, though, was convinced that there was still something out there and he he was he said that he knew that king tut was unaccounted for really and and so he knew he had to be there so what he did was he pretty much mapped out this whole valley of the kings and he did would do like a section dig it up go to the next section Damn, dig that it up. is a lot of work yeah it sure was so that's what he was doing so lord carnarvon met carter and he agreed to financially back him and become his partner after five years though Five years longer. Five years? Yeah, and he'd already been out there for five years. So this is five <gasps> years longer. So now we're 10 years in. After five years of getting no results, Lord Carnarvon called Howard Carter, and he said, look, this it's not working, and I can't afford <laughs> to waste any more money mm-hmm. on this project. I give up. Yeah. So this was a few days before Christmas in 1921 mm-hmm. when this took place. Now, we said that Carter had been very strategic with his days, and he knew that there was only one section left to go. Oh, stop. He had one section left. One section and he quit. Well, no, he begged Carnarvon to give him one more season. And I'm not sure how long the season was, but it it wasn't going to matter. Because Carnarvon said, yeah, I'll give you one more season. Three days into this dig, they hit the jackpot. Stop. Here's a fun fact for you. Because in all the research that I did, only one place listed this. And I thought it was pretty cool. It wasn't even one of the professional archaeological diggers that found it. It was just a random person? Well, it was the water boy. Adam Not Sandler? Not Adam Sandler. No, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Dumbest movie. Fun of me. Dumbest movie ever. It was not. Anyways, Stupid. Anyways. So the water boy is carrying some water mm-hmm. to bring to the, the people that are out there doing the digging. He trips over a rock. Oh, my gosh. And... He decides to move the rock, and when he does, he sees like a little hole, so he moves a little other, and you can actually see there was a stairway underneath there. So he <gasps> goes and grabs Howard Carter and all that stuff and tells him what's going on, 
and they're excited. I would never. I'd come back out at night and dig in that sucker. <laughs> I think it's a little more complicated than that. Oh. Anyway, so after they dig out enough, they get everybody together, they start digging out enough, and they see that there's a tomb actually down there, and it's got a seal of, of royalty. Because what would happen, you would have like the door that blocked in the entryway and then it would be it would have like mud mm-hmm. caked over it like made it a seal but then they would also put another seal on there like a written type seal oh wow and the so seal cool. that was on there showed that it was royalty so carter's like okay we need to cover this stuff back up so nobody knows it's here and he sent a message to lord carnarvon when he found out the tomb was still sealed he was excited Lord Carnarvon, a message, a telegram of some sort, and said, hey, look, what this is what I found. And he said that he was going to send him some more money, but he wanted to wanted him to wait till he got there before they went in. Because and he and wanted, done it. Yeah, mm-hmm. he wanted to be a part of it. So at the time that Carter was waiting for Carnarvon to come, something weird happened. So he sends his uh, messenger boy to his house. And the thing, a little while before this, so not Carnarvon, but Howard Carter, he'd been living here by himself. So he's living in a house by himself in Egypt. He got lonely, so he went out and bought this beautiful yellow canary. Well, all of the people that were part of the dig were like, oh, that's that bird's going to lead us to the treasure and all that stuff, okay? So they'd all have a good time with it. Well, he sends his messenger back to his house. The messenger, while he's at the house, he starts hearing some rustling. He goes back there, and the canary was in the mouth of a cobra. <gasps> no. Yeah. Oh, no. And they automatically were like, because, you know, if you notice any of the pharaoh's headdresses, they all have the cobra yeah. on the headdress. So they all took this as like an omen. <gasps> they didn't the, chop his head off and get the bird out? I don't think they did. Oh, poor birdie. So they come back and they go back and tell him, they're like, hey, we, we think you should hold off and not do anything with this tomb because they took that as, hey, this bird was supposed to lead us there. That's what everybody thought. And instead he gets ate by the cobra. And that's like a sure enough sign like uh, that, you know, the, the cobras that are on the headdress would come after and, and do something to anybody to open the tomb. So they tell Carter this, and he basically says, um, like, uh, damn, I'm like flying all the way over here to Egypt. No, that's not. He lives there. No, he was right there. I'm sorry. But he was like, no, we're, we're, you know, you're idiots. We're still going to open this tomb, and I need you to make sure that cobra's out of my house. That's 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 what he told the guy. He told him, I just need you to make sure that cobra's out of my house. Why did he have to get it out of there? He didn't want to. I mean, like, get your own dang snake out of there. (laughs) On November 26, 1922, they discover that there was a second doorway. So they got down to the first, right, where it was sealed. Well, they opened that up, and then there was a second doorway. This one had the seal of Tutankhamun on it. The first thing that they noticed was there was a patch on the door that meant that someone had broken in at one point. Mm. So you can imagine what they're thinking. Yeah, everything's gone. So they would later discover that there was actually two sets of thieves that had been there and there was some evidence that at least one of them had been caught in the act and if I'm sure if somebody was caught in the act down there they were probably killed on the spot wow was his body in there well of course it's a tomb of course no 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 no, no, no. the guy they killed I I don't know I I didn't see I just know they said that there was evidence that the second person had been caught or at least one of the two so like you said obviously they're sitting there thinking what if there's no treasure left in this tomb Mm -hmm. after all these years of digging, and we find it, and there's nothing there. What I was thinking, he bet he should have zigged when he should have zagged. Just think if he had started at that place yeah. first and worked his way back. Yeah. So Carter, Lord Carnarvon, Carnarvon's daughter, who went by Lady Evelyn Herbert, and Carter's assistant are all at this door. This is the moment of truth. So Carter uses this chisel that he was given as a gift at, on his 17th birthday by mm-hmm. his grandma. He's got this, so he's had this thing for years. And he's sitting there, and he uh, decides that he's going to chisel a small hole right there at the seal so he can peek through. He lights a candle. He holds it up to the hole, 
and just stares and stares. Everybody behind him is getting anxious. They're like, what What the hell? Mm-hmm. What's up? So Carnarvon asks, do you see anything? And this is the, the famous line that Carter replied back with. He said, yes, wonderful things. So at this point, they needed to wait because they're not allowed to go in there with these treasures without somebody from the Egyptians' uh, antiquities office being there with them because this is still property of Egypt. You know, this is a national heirloom Mm -hmm. of the country. So now they're not allowed to just go in there without somebody from the country being there to see what's there, what's not there, make sure they don't take stuff, all that. What he did see, though, was glistening, shimmering. He could tell there was mounds and mounds of treasures in there just through that hole. So this would take three days from somebody from Cairo to come down. Oh, my gosh. So they have to wait three days, right? Mm-hmm. Well, they later admitted that though it was against the law, they went in anyway and stayed the night just looking at stuff. This was the richest archaeological find ever, and they've been searching for 10 years. They weren't about to just wait. No, I wouldn't want to wait either. That's terrible. Inside was four rooms of this tomb. These rooms were filled with over 5,298 objects, most made of gold. Think about that. That is insane. Now, most of this stuff was a mess in there. I mean, it was stuff had been knocked over and all that, and this was from the... Thieves, thieves that had been in there beforehand. I don't know. I, I don't know why they didn't take stuff. Or, or there's, I guess, there's no tellings if they did take something. Mm-hmm. So I mean, they're, 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 you know, who knows what was started off in there? But there's fifty two ninety eight was the count of what was left when it was all said and done. This was the most intact tomb ever found. So even though there was some stuff maybe taken or a little bit in shambles, for the most part, it was untouched. And you'll hear a little more why, because they only got to that first room, I think. Lady Evelyn was the smallest of the group, so she was the first one to go in. On February 16th, 1923, they opened the door to the last chamber. This is where the sarcophagus was found. There were three different coffins all inside of each other. It was like one of those Russian dolls. Yeah. You open it up. Yeah, and there's another one. Yeah. The last one, the last coffin, this is the one that held King Tut, was made of solid gold and weighed 300 pounds. Think about what that would be worth today. I mean, what's an ounce of gold going for these days? 400 bucks? i am got a clue. <laughs> of course you don't. <laughs> Why would I know that? So you figure 400 bucks for an ounce, there's 16 ounces in a pound and there were 300 pounds? Do the math. Don't do the math. No, it's too hard. So anyways... When the tomb was initially discovered, Carnarvon sold the sole rights to cover this event to the London Times. This would end up being a mistake. So he's thinking, I'm going to recoup a lot of my money by giving the London Times the rights. You can come cover everything and no other paper can get in. So I'll charge you more because you're the only one that can do it. Mm -hmm. And they paid a hefty little uh, ransom, basically, to be able to do that. And we'll talk a little bit later about why that really turned out to be a bad deal as far as he was concerned. Keep in mind that all the treasure belongs to Egypt, not to the people who discovered it. Mm. So what about the curse? That's what people are here listening. It's enough of the history part, even though there's going to be more history in the curse part. (laughs) So that's going to start with Lord Carnarvon. He had been bitten by a mosquito on his face. I know that doesn't sound like much of a curse. (laughs) (laughs) We must be cursed, too. We get bit every night. A few days later, though, he was shaving, and the razor sliced the whelp <gasps> that was on his face oh, gosh. from the bite. This ended up causing an infection in his blood. He got a fever. He was uh, over in, in Cairo, I think he was. He was in Cairo, yeah. And his assistant called his wife and said, hey, you need to get over here because his fever is not breaking. His wife and, you know, of course, keep in mind, this guy was a multimillionaire, basically. Mm -hmm. His wife calls a specialist 
and they both come over there. But unfortunately, it was too late. Lord Carnarvon. She's like, oh, yeah, look at all that money I'm getting. <laughs> Lord Carnarvon died on March 25th, 1923. This was six weeks after he had walked into the burial chapel. Oh, man. Of King Tut. Now, it's said that two very strange events took place at this exact same time. First of all, all of the lights went out in Cairo for 20 minutes. And supposedly the, the electric comp was all ran by the British soldiers mm-hmm. or the British government at the time. And they couldn't answer why the lights went out or and they couldn't get them back on. But they were out for 20 minutes starting with the time that he died. But also in England, this guy lived in a, in a beautiful castle. And in England, where he lived, his dog, which was a little terrier, was sleeping in his little bed. And at the time he died, this dog raised up. He kind of let out like a little scream. Mm-hmm. And then he dropped dead. <gasps> oh! At the, at the exact same time that Lord Carnarvon died. So we had, he died, Lord Carnarvon died, the dog died, and the lights went out in Cairo all at the same time. Poor doggy. So remember I said we'd get into the fact that when he sold the rights to the paper, how that was a problem. Well, all of the other competitor papers started writing that his death was part of a curse. Yeah. They may not have done that had they had a chance to cover all the stuff, too. But this was their way of, like, getting a jab, even though he was no longer with us. He was getting they were getting a little jab in by writing that kind of stuff. Some even wrote about the curse that had been... um, found in other tombs because like i said there have been other tombs found before this one of these curses that was written on the inside of a tomb said cursed be those who disturb the sleep of the pharaoh they that shall break the seal of the tomb shall meet death by a disease that no doctor can diagnose another curse found in a tomb read as for all men who shall enter this my tomb impure there will be judgment and end shall be made for him i shall seize his neck like a bird i shall cast the fear of myself into him why they gotta be so serious they were pretty serious sir arthur conan doyle who you might remember is the gentleman who wrote sherlock holmes Mm mm-hmm he was really big into the paranormal and stuff like that. And he said that he thought Carnarvon's death was from elementals, you know, like little fairies. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that they were created by King Tut's priest to protect the tomb. And then once they got in there, they were pretty much sicked on him, basically. Yeah. A later autopsy of King Tut showed that he had a head lesion on his cheek. How about that? That's crazy. It's odd that the first death was from a whelp on Carnarvon's cheek that was sliced open. Mm. Knowing that King Tut mm-hmm. had a whelp on his. So, mm-hmm. I guess it all depends on how you want to look at it. I will say this, though, and we'll talk about it a little bit. There was really no curse written inside of King Tut's. Some people tell you there was. Some people will say, like, one of the ones we just read was in there. There was no curse written inside. Mm-hmm. What did happen, though, is Howard Carter started spreading rumors of a curse being written written in there just to keep would-be thieves oh, out, yeah. away from there. So right. it was just a way of scaring everybody. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of good idea. Now, Carnarvon was just going to be the first of many people who were going to be um, victims of this curse, we'll say. Eleven deaths in the first ten years after the tomb was invaded. Not all these incidents, though, ended with death. Sir Bruce Ingram, he was given a paperweight that was made of a mummified hand in 1925. It had a bracelet on it that said, Cursed be he who moves my body. To him shall come fire, water, and pestilence. And pestilence is like disease. Illness. So soon after he got this mummified hand, his house burned down. Get out of here. He rebuilt it, and a flood destroyed it. Oh. I don't know if the pestilence ever happened or not because there wasn't any recreation, but he did throw away the hand. Well, yeah. So he wouldn't That's take it. That's horrible. Any Why would he even want that hand in the first place? 
Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's kind of cool to have just a mummified hand. No. I mean, people have like, um, we've got that back scratcher that was made out of the alligator hand that we got in New Orleans. That's kind of the same thing. Mm. It's not a person, but. Yeah. I don't know about that. Rabbit's foots. Mm. Foots. Rabbit's feet. (laughs) There was many people who suffered uh, a fate from the curse after just visiting. Prince Ali Kamel Fame Bay. He did less. He died less than a year after visiting the tomb, mainly because his wife shot and killed him. Yep. Why she do that for? I don't know. She did this on July tenth, nineteen twenty-three. Then you got Sir Lee Stack. Now he was the governor of Sudan. He came and visited, and he was assassinated on November nineteenth, nineteen twenty-four, less than a year after he visited. Aubrey Herbert. Now, this is Lord Carnarvon's half-brother. He visited, and he went blind right afterwards after having a dental procedure done. A dental procedure? And then he died of blood poisoning, just like his brother, in the same hospital as his brother, on September 26, 1923. George J. Gould. Now, George J. Gould, he was like this railroad tycoon from Mm -hmm. Great Britain. He came down, and he wanted to get a special tour. Howard Carter gave him a personal tour. And then on May 16th, 1923, he developed a fever, and he shortly died right afterwards in the French Riviera. Wow. That is messed up. Then you've got Mervyn Herbert. That's another half-brother of Lord Carnarvon, and he's the full brother of Aubrey Herbert that we just talked about. He died on May 26, 1929 from malarial pneumonia after visiting. That is insane. you think people would get the clue. Then you've got Captain Richard Bethel. Now, he was Howard Carter's secretary. He died on November 15th of 1929. His death was unique, though, because it was listed as smothering. He was in his bed, then they said he was smothered. Not necessarily that somebody smothered him, but he somehow smothered during the course he was sleeping. I tell you, those damn pillows ain't worth it. <laughs> I hate those things. And the Clintons weren't around back then, so we know and it wasn't. can't blame it on them? No. His dad, Richard Bethel, he died in February of 1930. Now, he jumped off the seventh floor of his apartment building. His place was filled full of artifacts that his son had given him. Now, his suicide note said, I really can't stand any more horror and hardly see what good I'm going to do here. So I'm making my exit. During his funeral, an eight-year-old boy was hit and killed by his hearse. Oh, Jesus. And then, at the same time that the little boy died, mm-hmm. there was a, uh, at a British museum, the guy that was an Egyptologist, he died. At the exact same time that the little boy was Why'd he have to die? I don't know. Then you got 1924, Sir Archibald Douglas Reed died. He was the radiologist who actually did all of the Mm x-rays on King Tut's body. He died of a mysterious disease. And remember, the curse said that people would die from an illness that a doctor could not diagnose. Mm -hmm. And there'll be more on that later. But that's one of those cases where... He did the x-rays, and he ended up dying of some uh, some mysterious illness that the doctors couldn't diagnose. Got H.E. Evelyn White. It was one of the first excavators on the scene. He hung himself and wrote a note that said, I have succumbed to a curse. Now, some people think he was talking about this curse. Mm-hmm. Some people think that he might have meant his depression was a curse because apparently he had just lost a close friend and everything too so he might not have been referring to that curse it might have just been his depression but he was still one of the excavators and ended up committing suicide in 1926 George Benin died from the uh, Louvre uh, Museum he died after visiting the tomb so I mean we got people all over the place just dropping after visiting the tomb I've got something to say about this. Okay. Okay. So, these people wasted 10 years of their life 
to get to the tomb when they couldn't take the stuff out of the tomb because the jewels and everything belonged to Egypt. So what is the point of all this shit? Then everybody's like dropping like flies because they're all going to the tombs. Well, most of them just want to see it because it's something that you'd never seen before. And some people, like when you take Howard Carter, yeah, he wasn't going to get rich off of it, but he wasn't getting rich off of his work anyway. He just wanted to be able to make that discovery and, and you know, be able to say, hey, I've seen this with my... Just like, just like somebody will go out and buy a painting and pay a million dollars to say they got a Rembrandt. It's not a matter of... It's just they want to be able to say they got one. He wanted to be able to, to see this. He okay, just, and I totally understand that, but... Since he oh, discovered the tomb, look how many people have died. I know. Like all these people wouldn't have had to, wouldn't have went gone to see the tomb, and all these people would still be alive. Not or, today, but or, or would they? I don't know, but I think this was a big waste of time. <laughs> it's one of the biggest archaeological finds ever. You said it was the biggest waste. It of time. It was because you didn't get nothing out of it. So what? You seen a tomb, King Tut. <laughs> Did you see King, King Tuck's butt? Did you get any jewelry? How old are you? Some, some, of them, <laughs> some of them did get jewelry. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Anyway, that same year, Egyptologist Aram Ember also died in a freak accident at his home. That was 1926. For you went on your rant, I was supposed to cover that for you went on a rant. I'm sorry. I just feel so bad for all these people that none of this would have happened if he hadn't have done that. So after Howard Carter finished his initial dig, another archaeologist took over. He kind of oversaw the further excavation of the tomb because there was other stuff that needed to be dug out. He was in charge from 1924 to 1928. He kept getting weaker and weaker, though, through the years on being on the site. He eventually died in 1928 of what was diagnosed as arsenic poisoning. How'd he get that? I have no idea. And the last one we're going to talk about is Lady Evelyn, Carnarvon's daughter. She was 21 at the time that she stepped through there, the first one to step through. We're going to talk about her last. I got a couple of things I want to talk about before that, though. Howard Carter eventually snapped. Okay. He ended up putting this big iron gate around the tomb and stuff because he was like, you know what? This is my stuff. I found it. It's mine. Did he realize all those people had died? I wonder. Well, at, the, at this time, it hadn't got to that point. Some oh. of these we talked to are out of sequence. Some of these we oh. talked to were 10 years after the fact. Gotcha. So he put this iron gate up, and he locked everybody out, including the Egyptians. He was just tired of only having limited access. So the Egyptians didn't like that, and they banned (laughs) him from the tomb for a year. (laughs) Gosh. How horrible. So, I mean, and I say that it was Egypt's stuff. I mean, he had some rights to it, okay? It wouldn't like he wasn't ever going to get anything off of it. He did have some rights to it. But in order for him to be allowed back in, he had to forfeit any rights that he did have. And he did so. He eventually died in 1939 from lymphoma, 10 years after being allowed back in the tomb. So he lasted mm-hmm. a decent little chunk after that. Now, what we hadn't talked about, though, is the crude autopsy that Carter had done on King Tut several years ago. He cut the body into sections. Like, he cut the head off. There's some cool pictures out there of just the mummies head and a little bit of the spine i mean he was trying to see what was in there so he just started cutting big chunks of it and cut it in sections basically. oh my lord that's horrible it is horrible but you said it was cool it's if you see the picture it's cool i mean it, it is a mummy that's been dead for three thousand years so yeah. it's it's hard to think of that as a person even though yeah, it was a person right before carter died he apologized to King Tut. He Aww. put all the bones and stuff back together, and he put the whole sarcophagus and everything back in his tomb. So King Tut is in his tomb today. This in pieces. Yeah, rest in pieces. So the curse was not over yet, though. So Lady Carnarvon, we talked about her, that was uh, Lord Carnarvon's wife, she died from an insect bite, just like her husband. And now the last ones. In 1970... Yeah, those mosquitoes don't play over there. <laughs> In 1970s, Egypt was under demand to send some of these uh, artifacts of the tomb to, on like a worldwide tour because everybody wanted to see it. And it's, yeah, now I mean, been, be cool. it's now been 50 years. Let's do some of this. Well, the Egyptian director of antiquities, he said he had a dream that he would die if any of these treasures left Egypt. Three months later, 
he was killed in an auto accident. Oh, wow. And then the Tut death mask. This is the picture you usually see. Mm-hmm. So this was over top of the mummy. And I mean, it, it literally was like perfectly done. It's smooth. It's made of gold. I mean, it's like perfect. It literally is perfect. And the day that that was being packed for travel, there was a, an Egyptian official. He just laughed at the curse. It was just so funny. And then he died of a heart attack that day. He was the 26th victim. 27, though. Lady Evelyn Herbert. She was the first one to walk in. And when the exhibit came to London, she wanted to go see it because she didn't get to see most of these treasures because they were already gone Mm -hmm. before they got to the sarcophagus. She got in to see a little bit of the first stuff, but she didn't get to see most of it. And so she wanted to see some of this stuff, and she wanted to see what her father never really got to see. He got to see a little bit, but he didn't, you know, because like I said, he died six weeks after they walked into the burial tomb. So he didn't get a chance to see a lot of this. She comes to the to the exhibit a bunch of times. And on the fifth time coming, as she's walking out, she has a stroke and becomes completely paralyzed. Oh, my goodness. She was 70 years old when this happened. She had joked about it before because somebody asked her when they brought the the exhibit there. Hey, what do you think about the curse? She says, well, I'm still around and kicking. So obviously I don't believe in a curse. So the question is at this point, she was the last victim, the 27th. She eventually did die, but I mean, she didn't die right then. Right then. Mm -hmm. Right. But we'll count her as as a 27th victim because she eventually did die. So the question is, is this a curse? And that's a good question. Sure sounds like it. Well, let's dissect it a little bit. Let's look back at the first victim, Lord Carnarvon. First of all, we told you he was in the auto accident, right? Yeah. This caused a lot of problems when we told you he was being told not to stay in London during the winters and stuff like that. This is because he was constantly having some kind of illness. It it could be like bronchitis or Mm -hmm. pneumonia, but he was always really sick. He's always getting something. And his doctors would ever remark if he ever got a bad case of pneumonia or bronchitis or something like that, that that could take him out because he was so sickly. So he cut himself, he got a blood poisoning, and he died. It's very possible that that, you know, he was sick all the time anyway. So it's very possible that, you know, that it didn't have anything to do with the curse. Hmm. So we'll just dissect that one a little bit. Several of these deaths happened years later. So can you really say that if you've got a curse, it takes you 10 years to die from it? I mean, is that, you, you know, it's, it just makes it a little bit harder to believe. And not only that, just because somebody dies, especially years later, it doesn't mean it had anything to do with anything than, other than, this is the 20s and the 30s. Mm-hmm. I mean, people just didn't live as long back then. Mm-hmm. There were plenty of people associated with the tomb that didn't have any kind of incidents happen. So in 2002, the British uh, Medical Journal, they did a study on the sur- survival rates mm-hmm. of 44 people that Howard Carter said that had been in the tomb at some point in time during this dig. And they didn't include any kind of native Egyptians because supposedly the curse didn't affect Egyptians, just people from other places. So the study took the average age of death of the 25 people that supposedly had died. You know, we had 27 different victims, but a couple of them, didn't get included in this for whatever reason. So they took the 25 that they said were part of this curse. And then they took another 25 people that were just other people that were there, but not, you know, normal people that were in Egypt at the time, but Mm -hmm. didn't go to the tomb. Okay. Yeah. So all these people were in Egypt, 25 of them were in the tomb and the other 25 wouldn't. They didn't find anything. That significantly associated deaths from the 25 being any different in age, time, or anything from the 25 that had nothing to do with it. Yeah, but that's such a weird coincidence, though. There was also no sign that people that were exposed were more likely to die within the first 10 years. So Howard Carter lived to be 64 years old. In the 30s, that actually was a pretty good age. Richard Adamson who was part of, of Carter's team, 
He lived 60 years after the tomb was opened and didn't die until 1982. Oh, wow. Good for him. Lady Evelyn was 21 when she was the first one to walk in there. And when she had her stroke, she was 70. So, yeah, she was leaving the exhibit and everything. But that could have just been a coincidence Mm -hmm. that that's when it happened. What may have been more to do with this might have been discovered in Pennsylvania in 1995. I know that sounds crazy, but you've got Gary and Cheryl Munson who lived in Pennsylvania and Cheryl was an art student. They decided to take a trip of lifetime. They were going to visit the tomb in 1995. So they go to Egypt, they're inside the tomb, they're getting their little tour. And of course they've got all the, the, like the little hieroglyphics and all the writings and stuff on the wall, all colored up, looking pretty and all that stuff. And she's looking at it and she starts running her hand on the wall over top of all the stuff. The guy catches her, tells her stop. And she's like, you know, my teacher told me if I ever get over here, you've got to run your hand over the paintings because you never know when you're going to be over there again. No matter what they tell you, just do it anyway. So she did. So they come back home. Within about three weeks of being home, she starts developing a little bit of a cough. Mm-hmm. A couple of days later, it gets worse. Pretty much she's coughing all the time. A couple of weeks after that, her husband's like, we really need to take you to the doctor to see what's going on. Well, she didn't want to go to the doctor because she was a Hodgkin's survivor. Mm. And she had already been through chemo treatments yeah. and everything else. And she just tired. She had her feel of going to the doctor. She didn't want to go. Eventually, it got so bad that they took her to the hospital. And while they were in the hospital, they noticed that her lungs were super inflamed and she was getting no oxygen. What they couldn't figure out is why. So they thought that it might have been her Hodgkin's, you know, turning back up. And they were, and, and this main reason was because a lot of the symptoms, the loss of weight and the coughing, it was all similar to what. It would have been. Mm-hmm. After a couple of days, they, they realized that that wasn't the case. And they said they were going to have to do a biopsy of her lung to try to find out what was going on. And they found a fungus called Aspergillus niger. Now, that's the same fungus that causes black mold on food and stuff. So mm. you know what happens when you got black mold in your house yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah, that's really dangerous. The question was, though, for them is, how in the world did she get this? Well, Howard Carter had noticed back when they first got into these things, that there were, looked like specks on the wall. Mm-hmm. And he just thought it was chipped paint, but then realized it was mold. So this goes back even knowing back then that there was mold and stuff on these walls. Now remember, Cheryl was running her hand up and down on this yeah. paint. Now see, for most of us, it wouldn't have been an issue. This fungus is microscopic. It can get all in your, you can breathe it in easy, but if you've got a good regular immune system, it just fights it off. It's nothing. Mm -hmm. Her immune system had been destroyed by the chemo treatments and the Hodgkin's and all that. So when this thing's got in her, it was in. And it started just raising havoc on her um, immune system. Cheryl Munson, unfortunately, she passed away at the age of 38 years old. 10 days after she entered the hospital. Could this be the same issue that several others who died from this mm-hmm. quote unquote curse? Could this been part of it? Remember we yeah. had the doctor who did the x-rays that died from something they couldn't figure, figure it out. out. Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't have had all this information back in the, the mid twenties like they do, you know, in 95. Right. So when autopsies are done on mummies today, They use special clothing, they use masks, they use gloves because of the mold and other contaminants that would fly into the air when you cut into the wrappings and the bodies and all that stuff. So remember, Carter just basically tore into King Cut and basically just no regards whatsoever. That's the way they all did back then. So there's no telling who all was in the room when he did that. So. Yeah. You know, that could have had an effect That's on some That's really interesting. So it just seems like a lot of this stuff may be able to be explained away, especially with the mold. That could have affected some of them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I teased 
at the at the beginning that there may be an Alistair Crowley tie-in. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's bear with me on this one. There's a historian by the name of Mark Boehner. Now, he says that six of these deaths that are tied in with this curse happened in London, England. This is where Aleister Crowley lived at the time. Bethel, Bethel's dad, Herbert, Herbert's half-brother. All these were some mysterious circumstances. Because keep in mind, Bethel was smothered. Mm -hmm. That was odd. Bethel's dad was supposedly a suicide. Mm-hmm. Some people think that maybe he was flung from the seventh floor because oh. he was an elderly man. They didn't think he could even get <gasps> up to that point. And then the uh, Herbert's half-brother, he died of blood poisoning, but that was supposedly su- suspicious. There's a gentleman by the name of Ernest Budge. He was a friend of Carnarvon. And he had uh, had some antiques and stuff like that from the artifacts. Mm-hmm. So his his murder happened. Then you had a guy named Edgar Steele. He basically had minor stomach surgery and ended up dying from that. And then you got Prince Ali. We told you about that. His wife had shot and killed him. Now, Crowley believed in the power, that all his power came from the Egyptians. If you remember his his book that he wrote, um, his little Bible, was basically given to him by Egyptian gods. It was read to him supposedly by Horus and and all that, and he just wrote it down. Well, he loved everything Egypt, and they say that he was pissed off because of the fact of them opening the tomb Mm -hmm. and invading that, and to him that was a major insult, and because of this, he pretty much had these murders committed, and they even think that the uh, Prince Ali's wife actually may have killed a couple of those like he used her for a couple of these murders no way but a little far-fetched but anyway that that kind of is a little tie-in well you know what i will one i will agree with him on this one thing and i can't even believe i'm saying that but it was they should not have done that they should not have done that so now you're like a you're going to go follow the book of the law and do what thy wilt and all that no but (laughs) i just you should not disturb the dead under no circumstances. You know, it, I'll say this, and it is funny that that we do differentiate because you heard me just say it's kind of you look at a mummy different. But you know, if this was anywhere else, and you were just digging up a grave mm-hmm. just because people would look at that as kind of like sacrilegious, or mm-hmm. you know, we talk about all the time on this show about not disturbing graveyards and I mean, and, and you know, picking them up and moving them and stuff like that. So. I guess just because this was done a different way, it's okay in the name of research just to just do it. No, I don't agree with that you know, at but all. I mean, but I'm saying, though, that's, but that's but kind I of the way the approach is. I understand is. what you're saying. I don't understand why people do that stuff. I just do not get it. I do so not. You can base your own decision on of whether course, you think this is a course. curse or not a curse. But that is so, that's a tough one. It's bizarre regardless. Yes, there are it a lot is. Of it's so daggone interesting. Yeah. How many, how can there be that many coincidences? How can there be? I don't know. Wow. Just don't know. I don't know, but I don't never plan to find out about that stuff. So, all right. So, real quick, upcoming shows. We only have three more this year. This year has been a whirlwind. I don't even know where this year went. Dag on it, we had a good time. Yes, we have. We have had a great time. So we've got. The Home of the Mothman live show, mm-hmm. and that one's ticket sales are really picking up on I that know, one. I'm so excited to go that back one is, there. Is that October 5th? Is that what it is? I believe so, yes. October 5th in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. That, pla- that place is cool. It is. It's very cool. And they're having, like I said, battle days where yes. you can see re- uh, Revolutionary War reenactments. It's going to be at a haunted um, American Legion post. Mm-hmm. How cool is that? And it's going to be on the site of where several Revolutionary War soldiers are actually buried. Oh, my gosh. Look, guys. It's, what, two hours from here for us? Uh, yeah, for us, it's about two and a half hours. So, it's not that far, y'all. Come on. Well, just because it's two and a half hours from us don't mean it's not far from them. Well, true. I mean, but I'm just saying, if it's within, like, two hours from you either but direction. We'll have we'll have Diane from History Goes mm-hmm. Bump there. We'll Can't have the boys from Ohio. Oh, my gosh. If they don't raise something from the dead, who knows? Ooh. 
I'll get something. Lord have mercy. But yeah, it's going to be a blast. And you can stay at the haunted hotel. Yeah. There in town. So there's only one. So <laughs> bring your uh, bring your hepatitis shot. Anyways, uh, <laughs> it's all part of the experience, honey. Then the then the last two shows. New York and Philadelphia with Dina Marie from Twisted Philly. Yes. Very excited about that. I've not been to either place, so I'm, I'm very call, excited. I'm calling you people out of New York. New York, this is our biggest market by far. And we've only sold four tickets for whatever oh, reason. I don't no. know if it's just because there's so much stuff to do in New York that people it are waiting. Be. But come it on. Step, the Philadelphia show's already got like 20 tickets sold. Come on. New York, yeah, I'd step, love to see you guys. Step it up. We need our New York peeps Heck out there. Yeah, that be, I'm like so excited. You guys can like show us around, not show us around, but yeah, all of you. We need you to show yeah, us around. We all need you to show us around. <laughs> Here's what's going to be fun for me is we are going to be, and this wasn't planned. It worked out though. We're going to be able to be in New York City on John Lennon's birthday on October 9th to be able to go to the Dakota and go to Strawberry Fields and go to the Memorial. On John Lennon's birthday, yeah. and I can only imagine. Oops! Oh, nice. That was more mercy me. I can only imagine. <laughs> um, but I can only just speculate how many other people, because people come from all around the world to that memorial on his birthday. I know. I know. So, you, or you're very excited about I'm, I'm this. I'm very excited. It's very cool. Okay. I'm sorry that he died, but that's terrible. But yeah, it's hard to get over. It's only been it forty is, years. I know. Isn't that crazy? It is hard to get over. Tracy. What? I believe you've got some iTunes reviews to read. I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> okay. I, I do. I do. All right. We have Stephen Horrible, which I know you're not. <laughs> Celeste in Tennessee. And Celeste, we're sorry about your grandpa. Yes, honey, we are so sorry. He he was a sweet looking man, and I know you're. This is hard for you. I'll be praying for you, honey. I don't really know how to say this. I want to say Anuta098876, or it could be Anetta. I don't know. Please, sir, could I have Anetta? <laughs> Grace's Cafe and Bobby Carroll. You guys are the sweetest people. Thank you for your reviews. Oh, my gosh. You all don't know how much. You just make my day every day. And our Patreon was Steve Fuller and Greg... <laughs> I don't know why I did that like that, but we appreciate y'all so, 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 so much. You don't even know. I feel like a blessed moment is coming upon me. Are you going to sneeze? No. Oh. You know, we had our birthday bash last night, and man, it was the fun, funnest thing. We just feel so honored to get to meet all you guys. You don't even have a clue. I mean... We have the best feeling when we leave our shows because you guys are so wonderful to us. And golly, I just, I know I keep saying it. We just are so humbled and blessed um, with, with you guys. And we just want you to know that and never forget that. We're always here for you. Reach out to us for anything. We'll do our best to help you. But we just can't thank you enough for all your all support over these years. And I love you all very much. Jerry, would you like to say something? Yes, I would. I would like to say I 100% agree with everything she said. And it's it's been a rough couple of weeks, and you guys have helped pull us through. Oh, my gosh, have you ever. So it's, it's, it is an honor. That's the best thing it that is. we can It is. It's a total say. honor. Yes. And we, um, you know, we just want to be able to reach out to as many people as we can. And we're getting some opportunities. We were asked to be special guests on a local show here it's these young ladies are absolutely hilarious fantastic they've got a podcast they've got a radio show on saturday mornings Mm -hmm. they've got a video blog and they asked us to come on because they like what we do with the group it wasn't about the ghost stories it was about the suicide Mm -hmm. prevention and they like that they like that stuff too yeah but you know i just wanted to give a big shout out and we're they're going to have us on their show i think it's next week but we'll put that link up there Mm -hmm. but we just really want to thank lee and tamara Yes. From Kentucky Taste Buds. Yeah, you guys give them a listen. They are the nicest people and, and ever. And they're hilarious. Absolutely Oh, they hilarious. are so funny. So look up, look up, it's KY Taste Buds on your um, podcast app, 
add them and give them a listen. And next week we'll be on there. And I want to do our very best at giving them their best week ever of listens. Oh my gosh, yes. And they're, it's just so cool. They're like best friends. They've been best friends for since middle, middle school. school. Yeah. You know, and they're having a good time. And that's what it's all about. So please listen to them. They're awesome. And that's it, man. Guys, that's all we got for you this week. I hope you guys have a blessed week. We love you guys. Tune in next week, and I promise you we're going to have some exciting news that you're probably not expecting. True that. See you next week. Wait a minute. What is it?